0: I am um, I thought about titling the sermon for tonight All Aboard the Hot Mess Express because that really is what this is you'll see I should have said Valerie bring your hot mess express shirt because yeah that would fit with this chapter absolutely you'll see that as we read it it's just hard to imagine how good comes from all of this it's hard to imagine it getting worse than what we're going to read here tonight but it certainly it does, does. Yep. in some ways, it 's hard to imagine why God would even put this story in the Bible i mean it''s, it's embarrassing in some ways, the type of story that you, like a family would try to forget, like something crazy happened at Christmas and like nobody talks about that Christmas anymore. or a winter camp when, when a certain someone got locked into a yes. car from the inside, which is m- amazing yeah. but one of the things it's that I, I nice love about we forgive you baby. It's all right one of the things that i like about the scriptures though is that it and stories like this testify to its authenticity um, that it would share the history as it is without trying to revise it or make everything a win and plus we see here that even in events like the one that we're about to read god is in control and he's working to bring about his will and the end of his will that the result that he desires even through messy situations even through situations that are basically a train wreck and we're going to be in bad situations at some point in our lives, individually and even corporately sometimes. And so it's an encouragement to know that God is not limited by these types of things. He is still working in these things and through these things. He's accomplishing his ends even through things that seem out of control and chaotic. And there are certainly lessons for our life that we can learn from an event like the one that is recorded for us here, as well as reminding us of our need for Christ and the redemption and forgiveness and the deliverance of sin that only he can give. There's none other that can be a, a redeemer like Christ. There's none other that can deliver people like Jesus has delivered us. Now, I did title our sermon for tonight, The Importance of Being United in God's Truth, and subtitled, God's Victorious in the Lack of It. Because tonight in our text, we're reminded of the importance of being united, of having a unity centered around God's truth, not just being united among you know, peripheral things, but a unity based on god's word and god's truth but also and as good as right as it is we see that god is able to accomplish his will even when that doesn't exist even when that unity doesn't exist and people make wrong choices god doesn't get stuck he doesn't need us to act one way or another to accomplish his will Now the passage is kind of long it's 20 verses and in it you'll see that we kind of we, we have like this backstage pass sort of we have like a view of everything happening that the people in the events don't have we're privileged to know the details that the actors or the characters in the story don't know about. And those, there are these secrets, and we get to know the secrets, in other words. That's going to help us understand what the Lord is teaching us and help us see just how messed up this whole thing is, humanly speaking. But this is how the Lord has decided to bring about his will. The faithlessness of his people and even this judge are not going to tie up Yahweh's hands. He's still able to deliver his people through a scenario like this. He is a faithful God, and his will will be done. So let's read the chapter and then we'll pray. The reading of God's word, You can follow along, beginning at verse 1, chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go take a wife from, the un- from this uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines rolled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and honey. He scraped it out into his hands, and he went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother, and he gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, so the For so the young man used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought him, or they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me, you do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him on the seven days that their fast or feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifers, you would not have found out my riddle. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil. And gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. That ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and sufficient word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, though that is holy, inspired, and sufficient, it is absolutely a strange story, a wild story. And we pray that you would help us to make sense of it tonight and that you would have us to learn from it what you desire us to know from it. Help us to be mature. Help us to see our need to depend upon you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide us into all truth and that you would convict us where we need convicting. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Seems like the Hot Mess Express just had a train (laughs) wreck. Yeah, absolutely. The Hot Mess Express is right. But we see God working and accomplishing his will in it because the author of the Judges gives us some clues as to why these things were taking place by the inspiration of the Spirit. Simply put, this is the way that Samson is going to begin to save Israel. Remember we read that last week in chapter 13, that Samson was going to begin to save Israel. This is just the start of that beginning, and since Samson is such a wild card, since he is such a man of his time, he's actually really like a type of Israel, as we'll see. God is going to go about being faithful to his covenant promises by using the the evil exploits of Samson. And this isn't the first time that God has done this and it certainly isn't the last time. So let's look at verse 1. Samson goes down to Timnah and there he sees a daughter of the Philistines. Now it sounds to me like when I when I read this, like Timnah is perhaps outside of the promised land. Like why is Samson going to Timnah where there's for these these Philistine women? Well, because you know uh, you know what is a daughter of the Philistines doing in Israel, if that's the case. They were supposed to drive all the nations out of of the promised land. Uh, This this Canaan, it became the promised land. It was the land that the Lord gave to these people. And Israel was supposed to either put these nations to death or to drive them out or to see them converted into Judaism. Not that they would cease to be a Philistine, a Canaanite, a Moabite if that they but just that their national identity would be Israel because they had entered into into a covenant with God. And they would probably be called an Israelite at that point even, but that's not the case here. This is a Philistine woman, and Samson and his parents live in Zorah. We read last time, this is Timnah. But Timnah is not actually that far from where Samson lives. It's four miles. And so what we see is that the Philistines and the Israelites are just totally intermingled. The Philistines are ruling Israel in such a a way right now that they are intermingled with the Israelites. Uh, And there is this melding of the people. There's no crying out from Israel to be delivered. And it seems like at this point, they are just fine with being assimilated by these other people and having their customs and their religion and their worship being put upon them. Living as it were, somewhat peacefully with them even, right? I mean, if they're intermarrying, Samson's not trying to kick them out. He's wanting to marry one of these Philistine women. Israel and and the Philistines are in some sense one right now. They're united, whereas they shouldn't be. And so look at um, Samson's actions in verse 2. This is absolutely uncharacteristic for a child in Israel. He sounds like a modern, selfish brat, honestly. Uh, He only ever so slightly operates according to Israel's customs here. But he at Timnah sees a Philistine woman, then he goes back to his parents and he commands them, now you go get me her for a wife. I mean, y'all talk to your parents like that? Can you imagine what would happen if you did? Not, not likely, right? They would be upset. They would be angry. And Samson's parents parents are upset. They don't like this plan of his. They don't like this desire of his. They don't approve of it. In their mind, they don't see how this fits with the message that the angel of the Lord delivered to them. And that when remember, the angel of the Lord said that Samson would be the one who would start to save Israel. If he's going to deliver Israel, if he's going to set the course for the nation to be repentant and turn from their sin, how's that going to work with this, quote, uncircumcised Philistine as his wife? See, the parents aren't racist or something like that. This isn't how it was for like many interracial couples here in the United States a few decades ago, and how it's kind of becoming again now for some people, where mixing of races is looked down upon by some people. Many years ago, it was it wasn't unheard of for a family to like even disown a son or a daughter simply because they loved someone outside of their race. Now that of course is foolishness. We're all humans. Yes, we have different cultures, but the color of one's skin, the ethnicity that a person has is a foolish reason to avoid a union. But that's not what's happening here. That's not, that. that's not the motivation for Sanfer Manoah and his wife, who, again, we still don't know her name. This is an uncircumcised Philistine. This is a person who would, who would not be in what, in what we would call the old covenant. This is a person who is not seeking the one true God. If she was, the protests from the parents probably wouldn't even exist, most likely, because this would be a person who is seeking the Lord, wanting to glorify the Lord. But this is a person who is uncircumcised. She, women don't get circumcised anyways. So she's talking about you know a, the fact that she's not in a covenant with God. Women do get circumcised, I, sh- I should say, actually, but it's very violent and it's horrible. And it happens in, I think, today, Africa countries and stuff. It's, it's really, really a horrible thing. Um, But that's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about the fact that this woman is not in this covenant that was delivered to Moses, first to Abraham, then to Moses. She's She's outside of that. Israel is supposed to be in a covenant with God, and they are in a covenant with God, but they keep forgetting that. And if they intermarry, God told them that what that would essentially do is break covenant with him, and then they would enter into a covenant with the people that they marry. And certainly marriage is a covenant, right? I mean, we all know that where there are sanctions and promises between the two parties. And so they want for Samson to take a wife from among the daughters of his relatives or among his people. In other words, from the tribes of Israel. That that was the custom in Israel. We see that with Isaac. We see that with Jacob. There is clear instruction about this in the Old Covenant even. Exodus thirty-four fifteen to 16 says, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons and sons whore after their gods. So Samson, though, uh, he's a horrible Nazarite, being holy and set apart to the Lord is already not registering with him already. He's already looking to intermingle a romantic relationship with someone who doesn't love his God. He would have been wise to heed the instruction of his father and mother. That's the fifth commandment for one, right? Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you in the land. Plus, if you were to plumb the Proverbs, you would find dozens of applicable wise instruction along these lines. Here's just two, okay? Proverbs 17:25. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. But Samson, he's not thinking like this. Again, Samson is a good representative of the whole nation of Israel at this point, a nation in rebellion to what is good and true. And so look at what he says about this woman. Look where his desire is coming from. This is from Samson's point of view is all about his pleasure there's no pleasing the Lord here. The end of verse three says that Samson, he, he digs his heels in and he goes against the wisdom of his dad and his mom. And he requires his dad to quote, to get her uh, parents in the old covenant in Israel, they played a big role in the spouse of their children and obtaining the spouse. Uh, but this isn't the typical way it was done. And what's the reason? Samson sees the situation here as being right in his eyes. Now, What does he say? He says here in verse 14 at the end of verse three, he says, for she is right in my eyes. Now, I don't know if that necessarily means that this woman who's unnamed again, by the way, if that she is just like drop dead gorgeous or something like that. Um, Certainly, Samson is not operating out of biblical desires and convictions here. But this phrase, she's right in she's right in my eyes. I don't think that the scriptures are just wanting us to think that Samson is some sort of like lusting brute or something like that. I don't, I don't think that's the main drive of the, of the point of them saying this. Again, Samson is a picture of Israel at this point. Flip to the end of this book, Judges chapter 21. It actually says this also in chapter 17, but the very last verse of the chapter is, of chapter 21 is easier to locate. So look at what it says there. In those days, there was no king in Israel; everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's what's being captured here, I think, primarily. Her, so it's either all based on physical appearance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and that's what say. Right? Like, like like, so it's I don't know that that's. I don't know, so it has to be that, right? He's right, he doesn't know, he hasn't talked with her, he doesn't know. Obviously, I mean, she wouldn't line up with the standards that he, a person should have in Israel for a wife because she doesn't fear Yahweh. But it's interesting that it's also translated the way it is in the ESV, for she is right in my eyes because that's, that's the problem in Israel right now. Everyone's just doing whatever they think is right. They're not doing what God wants. And even the same thing where she's pleasing to me. I mean that he's he's pursuing his own desires rather than being faithful to what the Lord says. Samson, although a believer, is bearing bad fruit here. He's doing what he wants. He's not living according to the way that God would desire. He's doing what is he thinks is right before his own eyes, what pleases him. Not what pleases God. His eyes lure him away. I know. And then we don't yeah. His eyes are gone at the end, right? And now I mean that was probably some a point that I was gonna make in a couple sermons from now. But I mean just forget about it. <laughs> so and in in other words, well, I mean it's just it's easy to plan that far ahead when you're having it all in one book. So um he's his own master, in other words, right? He's not being directed by God here, he's not being led by Yahweh, this man who's a Nazarite and set apart by God from the womb, is pursuing his own will rather than God's will. Is that any way for a person who loves God to live? Is that any way for a Christian to live? No, right? Of course not. But this is how bad it was for God's people at this time. It doesn't change the fact that they're God's people But he will discipline his people for their sin. And we'll see that with this marriage and with this woman even. And there is disunity and brokenness as a result of Samson's sin here. He is is unteachable and impulsive. His parents actually had the right idea. He should have listened to their advice rather than simply acting based on his feelings, what he felt like was the right thing to do. He should have listened to his parents. He should have took that wise counsel. He should listen to what the Word of God says but instead he did what pleased himself. And we need to take a moment to understand that. There there are a few things that we should think about here. God didn't leave this notion of being married to an unbeliever as a standard only for as, as being a bad thing as a standard only for old covenant Israel. Manoah and his wife were right to urge Samson against this union, and really they have a message that all of Israel need to hear at this time. It was this. Don't yoke yourself with those who don't love the Lord. Yoke yourself, unite yourself to one who fears the Lord, who loves the true God. That's been the problem in Israel. Remember, we've been calling this the, the canonization of Israel. Israel ends up looking like the people that they were supposed to push out of the land, and then the people they were supposed to be salt and light to. And in doing so, they end up forsaking the God who saved them out of Egypt, who promised eternal salvation to them. With faith that he would bring, and that he would also bring the Savior through them. And God's will for his people is that they would be set apart. When we are in Christ, when we are united to Christ through faith, we are not of the world anymore, but we live in it. And we are supposed to live in it in a way that is centered around being united to other believers, not based on what seems right in our own eyes. Not based on, oh, well, this makes me feel welcome, and this makes me happy, so I'm going to I'm gonna go to this church. But we're supposed to be united with believers based upon the truth of what God's word says. That's why the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 will urge Christians to be equally yoked. And that is a general statement. And We often talk about it in the context of marriage. Marriage is certainly caught up in it. Uh, we would think that especially because of the instruction that Paul gives to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapters 5 through 7 about marriage. But the idea is larger than that. Listen to what Second Corinthians six fourteen fifteen 15 says. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? That's a false god. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Let that be a guide to you, friends. Not only when you begin to think about someone romantically, about a person, but also just in general. That's what Israel had neglected here. It's, it's what Samson is neglecting on the romantic level now. God desires, God is pleased when his people are yoked together under the banner of God's truth. Any other sort of unity is to break fellowship with God. That's not to say that you can't have any unconverted friends or anything like that. Of course, you, you still live in this world, but you're not of the world. You're not to have close fellowship with the world and the people in the world. That sort of close fellowship and coming togetherness is reserved to be with other Christians. And if you're saved, you're part of the body of Christ. And Christ himself is not going to be yoked with. He's not going to be united with anything that is evil and in rebellion to God. So neither should we be that as well. The church, if, if, if you as an individual are part of the church, you can't surrender to the world's ways. Can't be united to the world. Yeah, Adam? Does loyal- mean like is there a word to describe false gods or is it a false god i think it's a false god probably specifically to the corinthian context okay but, uh, yeah so you we can't be united to the world michael warnock or wilcock i'm sorry says this he says there is no such thing as harmonious coexistence between the church and the world and listen to this for where there is no conflict right where the where the church and the world don't have conflict says it is because the world has taken over you understand let me repeat that again there is no such thing as harmonious coexistence between the church and the world for where there is no conflict it is because the world has taken over now an easy thing to think about this right now would be with like the lgbt or lgb whatever the letter number plus sign thing it is that is being championed right now there are many churches that want to say oh no we are going to welcome. We're going to be inclusive with these people. We're going to let them in. We're going to affirm them in their faith. Well, does the world have a problem with those sorts of churches? Not at all, right? The world is, to- is like, that's the sort of Christianity that the world wants. There's no conflict. Why? Because really the world has won over those churches. That's not the sort of unity that God wants. And you need to understand that. Listen to James, the brother of our Lord, James 4.4. 4. He says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What does enmity mean? It's like war, right? To be friends with the world is to be at war with God. Therefore, it says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Our joy, our strength as Christians comes in being united to Christ through faith and then enjoying that unity with others in that same faith. And, excuse me, and in that, we reject the world. We don't yoke ourselves to the world as it were. We don't have fellowship with the world and we don't do that to earn God's favor. We do it because we already have God's favor. And so fellowship with the world that hates God just doesn't sit well with the Christian. It doesn't, it's not something that we can stomach for that long. I mean, of course, again, we were evangelistic. We, we tried to make friends with people who don't know the Lord so that we might share the hope that we have with them and and just simply do good to them because these are still image bearers. They're still made people made in the image of God. But our unity is not to be the same with them as it would be with people in the church. It really, unity isn't the right word to describe. I mean, it depends on the different contexts. But God is so great, friends, that he is not in any way, shape, or form limited by the good or the bad that we do. We should do good, of course. We care about God's glory. We want to please Him because He is worthy and His love has changed us. But God will accomplish His will even if we are faithful to Him or not. So choose to be faithful, of course, but look at what happens next. And we have to go kind of quick through the rest of the chapter because of time. So look at verse 4. Here's our benefit in being the reader of this event The Philistines are ruling over Israel, they have blended together. Even the man that God chose as judge is living like a pagan. Manoah and his wife are grieved about Samson's decision, but they don't know that God is working through the sins of Samson. Samson doesn't even know, but this is from the Lord because God is seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. God is going to use Samson's evil desires to bring about his will. If we have more time, I'm not, we're not going to do this right now, but I mean, we've talked about this before, how in Acts chapter two, where evil men crucified Christ according to what they desired, but that was the plan of God, the foreknowledge of God. Or in Isaiah chapter Uh, nine through like thirteen where God raises up Assyria and Assyria comes against Israel because it's what they want to do, but really they're the axe in God's hand. This is how God often works through situations. And so see how God is going to bring about this opportunity. Verse five through seven, this opportunity to save Israel. Verses five through seven detail an event of Samson and his parents going to see the Philistine woman. And at some point on the journey, he and his parents, they must be separated and a lion just straight up attacks Samson. But the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. It comes upon him with force and he's able to do something that no man could otherwise do. He kills a lion with his bare hands. Even more, he apparently, the, he, he rips it in half. The word in the Hebrew is like he grabs it by the hind legs and rips it in half. He rents this lion. Men, apart from a miracle from God, don't survive encounters with lions like this. King David, by the Spirit, he killed some lions. Daniel was spared in the lion's den, but what happened when the evil satraps went into that same lion's den? They were jumped on before they even Yeah, they were mauled and destroyed. Or what about the prophet who was disobedient that was met by a lion on the way in First Kings thirteen? Killed, right? You, you don't survive a lion like this. But this thing jumps out the bush and Samson just kills it. In one sense. It shows them what Yahweh can do, right? But it's also very weird because he doesn't tell anybody at all. And God is working here, though. That's the reason. I know. I think about it. If I, if I ripped a lion, if I survived a lion attack at all, I'm reactivating my Facebook account. I'm telling everybody. I'm, I'm, I might even put it on Snapchat or get a TikTok. I would. Everybody would know about that. But he doesn't tell a single person. He doesn't tell anybody. So miraculous of that he doesn't even tell his parents. Then some time and this is all because this is how God is working it. God is Samson is this weird, selfish, prideful individual, although he's not wanting to bring this attention on himself here. So some time passes, and in verse eight through nine, he passes by the lion, he's going back to Tinda, and to his surprise there's a swarm of bees in the carcass. That's not normal, right? That's like that's not just a naturally normal occurring thing. What would you expect to see in the lion? Beetles. Beetles, maggots, flies. Yeah, it it would be decomposing. Bees are attracted to sweet spells, not dead lions. A community of bees has decided to (laughs) live in this lion. That's really the the word swarm. It really could be translated as community. It it really can't. And you know, it is a hot area, very dry area. But I mean, this thing has decomposed very fast. It must be all dry for these beasts to come over there. And now he sees it, and so he violates his Nazarite vow. He's not supposed to touch a dead thing, and he does that, and he, he eats behind it. As soon as he killed it. Uh, I don't know. That that might be a technicality. I mean, I was think still I, when he killed and it, he... And, yeah. uh, yes, I would say that that's the case. Who knows if he messed with it it's after was like, dead? We don't know. Yes. Yeah. So... He Not only does he himself eat of, it, eat of it and touch it, which would violate his Nazarite vow, but then he gives some to his parents as well. And his parents aren't under this Nazarite vow, but as an Israelite, if you touch something dead, you would still be ceremonially unclean. You would have to go through a special temple ritual, and process of cleaning, before you can worship the Lord properly. So he does all this stuff, um, but I think the picture here is still pretty clear. God is going to bring something sweet. He's going to bring something good out of all this evil. This bizarre account is even going to be part of it as we see Samson use this event which baffles him as the basis to take advantage of the Philistines. All this unfolds in 10 to 18. So basically what happens is that Samson puts a riddle to these 30 men that amount to basically like part of the wedding party. There's, there's this big party for the wedding about to happen. So they're in this town of Timnah, and these 30 men come as you know part of the bride's, Party. They're there to celebrate, to have a good time, um, to, you know, enjoy food and drink and to just celebrate the coming together of this marriage. Again, there's no, in their minds, this is totally a normal thing. A Philistine and Israelite just marrying, it's not bothering any of them. It's, it's, you know, that's how bad Israel has gotten by now. There's a week-long celebration for it, and Samson plays on the pride of these 30 young men, and he puts 30 linen, linen garnet, garments on the line and 30 changes of clothes on the line. These would be, like, super nice clothes. The type of clothes that, in that custom, you'd only have one outfit like this. This is the sort of outfit that you would wear to the wedding. That's what's on the line. So very expensive. They don't just have, like, a whole closet full of these things. This was, like, a wealthy were, piece of clothing. They're, they're very, Sunday's best, you know, if you can think of it like that. very confident, confident at winning. 30 Joseph Banks tuxedos. (laughs) They're either very confident of winning or very drunk. Armani. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So this would be hard to come by. So then he gives them the riddle, and it's an impossible riddle. There's no way that they could figure this out. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. It's like Bilbo and Golem, right? When they're they're doing riddles to each other. Yeah, what is in my pocket? How could Golem know it's in his pocket? He can't. It's it's the same sort of thing here. And what was in Bilbo's pocket, it was the ring, right? It was the thing that Golem was looking for, actually. But there's no way Golem could have known. Same way, same thing happening here. There's no way they can know the answer to this riddle. Well, the bride's party is not pleased. They try to figure it out for four days, but they can't get it right. Of course they can't. So they approach Samson's wife about it. It's a bit confusing. Is she his wife already? Has the relationship been consummated? I don't know. But the scripture calls her her wife at this point. And these guys threaten to kill her and her family if she can't get the answer from Samson. And so what you have in this is finally, finally, there is division between Israel and the Philistines now, at least in this group. there's Things are no longer pleasant. God is saving Israel even through these strange means. And this poor lady, I really do feel bad for her. She's getting played by Samson, who had no business loving her. She married a dummy. And her wedding party is threatening to kill her and her family. So it's the worst wedding ever. She shouldn't have This is the worst wedding ever. So you see what she does next, though, right? She pulls the you don't really love me card. It's, it's a famous no, and still okay. played manipulation tool for couples today. Does Anna play that against Anna, me? no, my wife does not play that against <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> Well, it works, right? It it ends up working on Samson. She tells the quote to her people, or she tells the answer to quote what she calls her people. So there's this division now. God is not limited to only using people that truly know him and seek him. And so they reveal the answer to Samson. And then Samson, rather poetically, calls his wife a cow and accuses her of being plowed with. I mean, hot mess express, right? Hot mess express. Our text closes with verse 19 to 20, and we see once again that the spirit of Yahweh rushes upon Samson and not just comes upon him and clothes him like we read with Gideon and some of the Ejephtha, but again, the spirit is, is rushing upon him, and he goes and he kills 30 Philistines who aren't even involved with this particular scenario, except for the fact that they're under God's judgment, of course, and they shouldn't be in Israel, and they're dead in their sins as it is. It's not so much Samson's temper that is driving this event. It's involved, right? I hope you see that. Because Samson is angry. He goes to his father's house in hot anger, it says. Not a righteous anger, but a hot anger. But it's the Spirit of the Lord who is on him to do this. Amazing, right? God is now doing, through the sins of Samson, what Israel was supposed to do in the first place. God is bringing about his will, and he is no way limited by the rebellion of his people. He is forcing these Philistines out. He's putting them to death, although it's being done through the train wreck of a mess that Samson is. And it ends on a strange note. It is a note that will take us into chapter 15, so I'll reserve my comments for then. But Samson leaves his wife. Some believe that to be a common thing, I guess. Get to that next week, and her dad gives her in marriage to a Philistine man who turned out to be Samson's best man in the wedding. I'm, this is like reality t v show worthy yeah? ninety six yeah, so in light of all this, we're reminded that God will accomplish his purposes and that no plan of his can be thwarted, even people who desire sinful things, God is free to use them to bring about good for those who love him. What an encouragement that is to us. When things look crazy in our world, and they often do look crazy, they do right now, we can be confident and certain that for God, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is going to bring life to his people out of all of this death. He's delivering them, by by his strength and his power he does and he does the same for us friends for us in christ even in all all the crazy in the world is meant for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose and so god brings life to us he brings eternal life to us he makes a new creation through the death of his beloved son our savior our lord jesus Jesus' righteous life is applied to us through faith that Yahweh gives us, and we are delivered. We are saved and rescued. Samson, of course, is a much messier example of that, but he's pointing us there. He's pointing us to Christ. You see that, I hope, and this is the gospel according to Judges. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are amazed by your power, the way that you plan, the way that you can use people who desire selfish ends and goals and who mean to to sin quite frankly you can use those desires and you often do use those desires to bring about your good in the end we especially are reminded of the fact that we call the day of our lord christ going to the cross good friday and we know that that was accomplished by men who meant evil but you meant it all for good that you might redeem a people unto yourself and bring glory into your name. Help us to always seek that glory. Help us to have our eyes on Christ no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Lord, we want to be holy. We don't want to be used through our sinful desires, our sinful choices. So we pray for grace that you would help us to choose what is good and pleasing to you and that you would cause us most of all to be reliant upon you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.